0: the physiology, what's going on in our brain when we start to think that something might be possible for us or we start to act in a more positive way. And when we turn our attention towards something that we want or towards something that we'd like to have in our, our life, we're turning on our brain to start looking for those things in our environment. Failing. 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 We
1: talk about failure. Some
0: battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's
1: tough. I had to make some tough (laughs) decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, achieve your dream. And then what we do with them. And this is Failing Forward. Hello, listeners. Today, I am interviewing Aisha Armstrong. First and foremost, she's my friend. She's also the CEO of Vectris. Vectris is a product innovation consulting firm. She is also a first-time author, right? First-time author? Yeah. Yeah, this is this is where you're going to learn Aisha doesn't do small things. She does great things. She's an author of the book Product Ties, which, by the way, is a brand new book. It's only been out for four months. It's already um, on the Amazon bestsellers list. She has sold over 2,000 copies in the first four months. Welcome, Aisha.
0: Thank you, Sarah. I'm so excited. I'm here.
1: You're here, I know. Oh, also, listeners, she's also my business partner, we have a little startup called 0.0 Living that we'll talk about at the end too. But okay, let's uh, you know, my first initial questions. Where did you grow up? Tell us about your family.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in Kansas, uh, a small town called Manhattan, Kansas. It's actually where Kansas State University is located. Uh I am the oldest of three children. Um My dad was a professor at K State, uh, and my mom was an educator.
1: And are you, uh, and I could probably answer this question for you, but this is not me answering all the questions. Are you a typical oldest child?
0: Oh, yes, I am, Sarah. Yeah, which you knew. (laughs) Yeah, I, um, so I, could be described as um you know conscientious responsible but with that also came like a strong perfectionist streak um and miss goody two shoes i think has sometimes been used to describe me um perhaps by people that i'm related uh, related to uh but yeah typical typical first child
1: uh high responsibility yes
0: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Very high. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the, the town that you grew up in Manhattan, what, what is that? What's it like? And this is you growing up in the eighties, the nineties, what, what's it like there?
0: Um, I mean, for me, it was normal. Um, so Manhattan, because it's a college town and has, you know, a large land grant university in it is not like a small farming town in Kansas, which some people might imagine. Um, so there's a university there. Um, not a whole lot of industry. It's primarily, you know, the university, we got our first shopping mall, uh, when I was 11, which meant
1: your first shopping mall.
0: Yeah. Like a a mall. Uh, Uh,
1: okay.
0: Yeah. So it had a, had a Dillard's and a Sears and a JCPenney, and yes. that meant that we did not have to drive an hour to Topeka, Kansas, to go back to school shopping. We could do it at our our little shopping mall at uh, Manhattan Town Center, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Nice. Yeah.
1: And so are, do your parents mostly hang out with professors, intellectuals, like what, what was that sort of social scene that you grew up with?
0: Yeah. So um, primarily other faculty families, Um, you know, my parents um, certainly valued education. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, my mother was a she started as uh, English as a second language teacher and worked her way up to becoming principal of one of the local elementary schools. Um, so she really valued education, um, and that was, I think, reflected by the the people that they hung out with. Yeah.
1: So and so they both worked outside of the home since you were little.
0: Yeah, I mean, my mom. I think she went back to to work school hours when I was maybe seven or eight, maybe nine, somewhere around there. Um, Mm -hmm. but she always worked as a teacher. She didn't work as an administrator until after I was gone. But even when she was an administrator, it was still, you know, roughly school hours.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. So you go off to college, you go off to business, business school too. Where do you go undergrad? Where do you go to B school?
0: So I did my undergrad in Kansas, uh, University of Kansas, uh, which is in Lawrence, Kansas, about an hour and a half from where I grew up, um, large state university. Um, and then I moved to Washington, D.C. the last semester of my senior year of high school to do like a semester in D.C. program uh, mm-hmm. and did an internship and loved it and decided to stay. Uh And ultimately ended up staying there, um, at least for the next five years, um, just kind of working for one company who ultimately sponsored me to go to business school. And I got my MBA at Harvard. Did you ever think that you could go to Harvard? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I, yeah, I did. Uh, so full transparency. My, my grandfather was class of 1949. Um, really? I didn't yeah. Know that. Yeah. So, um, so I had a family member, which also makes yeah. me a, le- a legacy. Um, but yeah, I, um, my grandfather got his MBA from Harvard. He was class of 49, which is really cool because they wrote a case study about his class because it was the first class post-World War II. And there were a lot of notable alumni, uh, in that class that went on to do just, you know, amazing things in all different industries. And, you you know, it was just, you know, it was the greatest generation. Uh, and so we, we studied that, um, case study when I was there and then I sent it to my grandfather. I was like, they wrote a case study about your class, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, yeah. So he had gone and then I had an, uh, an aunt who also got her MBA at Harvard. So yeah, it was so, definitely something that I felt was possible for me.
1: I, so I think this is interesting in two, the two like areas. One, there was possibility there and <laughs> listeners, as you listen more to Aisha, like there in her, her worldview is that there are possibilities for everyone. And, uh, secondly, I think it's really fascinating that that case study was done about him and his class. When you, around the time of COVID, really grew your business, so it's almost like I, I, I was when COVID hit. I remember saying to people, "There are going to be new businesses that come out of COVID or around that. They're going to shift their response to this because they're going to be open to the needs." And you definitely, with Vectrus, have been able to do that. Can we shift to that maybe? Since we're on that vein. Sure.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, so we, um I co-founded Vectoris three years ago. We just celebrated our third anniversary and we work with um, primarily mid-market, some large companies who are trying to use technology to create new products. And one of the things that COVID did was massively accelerate what they call digital transformation. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not just the fact that we do everything over Zoom now or order our groceries online or get Grubhub, but it, it really shifted how companies think about technology, not only for their internal processes, but also for their products. And is there a way to? Um, create new products, deliver their products more effectively using technology. So that's that's where we focus our business. So yes, of course, as you can imagine, COVID was great um, for demand. We're probably going to go this year at 100%, which is just insane. Um, certainly not what we planned on, but um, it's been good. Yeah.
1: So um, I know our listeners are going to be like, okay, let's talk about what, what would be her failure? What's the resiliency thing here? And you've been one of my greatest teachers, um, listeners. I want you to know that oh, I should tell the story. Can you tell the story of how you and I got connected with, um, the alcohol free?
0: Oh, um, well, do you want me to go back and tell the story about how you and I got connected initially or how we got reconnected?
1: Yeah. Maybe do that. Maybe do that. That's good.
0: Okay. So, so everybody, Sarah and I were connected initially back in the late, like 2009, 2010 time period. Mm -hmm. And this is actually one of my failure stories. I, um, I had taken a, um, exit package, uh, from the same company that I'd worked for since getting out of school, the one that had, you know, paid for me to get my MBA and they were going through, you know, a 2009 restructuring and I took an exit package. My kids at the time were one and three, and I had a very big job, had been getting on, you know, an airplane practically every single week and really just needed a break. Um, so I took the exit package and tried being a stay-at-home mom for about a month, and then I realized that that was probably not um, the the best fit for my personality. Uh, <laughs> so then I went and bought a staffing franchise right. that another um, Harvard Business School alum had started, and I didn't know anything about staffing industry. Like I, I, I didn't know anything about HR. I didn't know anything about recruiting. I was just really naive, but she, she had a really interesting angle and she was another Harvard alum and I needed to give myself something to do so I could justify getting a nanny again. Um, and so
1: wait, wait. Yeah. that okay, listeners, if you knew Aisha, you crack up at that. Okay, keep going.
0: Yeah, so so I did that, and that's how we got connected because one of our mutual friends was like, Oh, Sarah started a project connect where you were kind of placing people in yeah. um somewhat similar model. And so that's how we first got connected. And then my failure was, I ended up hating that business. Um, We we did pretty well, but I didn't like recruiting. I didn't like the selling of recruiting services. Um, So I was able to grow it enough to get a team and then um, sell the franchise back to the franchise owner. Um, So that's how I exited that. And then basically went back into the previous job that I had. So you know, was that a failure? I guess. Um, yes, because I didn't stay with the business, but I think I learned a lot about the importance of doing your due diligence when you're going to make a massive career shift like that and maybe buy a franchise. And, um, yeah, so I learned a lot that way, but that's how you and I initially met. And then fast forward to summer of 2018. And you had been doing this podcast for over a year at that point. Um, and I'd been listening and, and we'd seen each other through like, you'd come in and train the team when I was working at Scripps, which was great. And, you know, just see each other around and things like that. But so I was listening to your podcast and you were starting to talk more and more about your decision to stop drinking alcohol. And at the same time that you were doing that, I was beginning to question whether or not I needed to massively rethink my relationship with alcohol or just stop drinking altogether. Um, and I've told you this story, but I, I remember very clearly this, this moment where I was on vacation up in Northern Michigan with my family And I was out walking along the water and I was listening to your podcast and you probably for the, at least the first time that I had ever heard, like really opened up and said, you know, this was not going down a good path. You know, I had a problem and I stopped drinking and it's been, it's been like one of the most important things I've ever done. And I was just like, dang, Sarah Brown, like who would have thought? (laughs) And, and it was like, okay, like, all right. So this is like a real thing that people do. And, and it's not something to be ashamed of. Like you can talk about it. And, um, and then I saw you in your office uh, a couple months after that, because I was doing some consulting work for your, where, where you work and you came in and you said, hi. And I said, oh, like come back when, when I'm done. And you did. And, and I told you, I said, look, like you really, your podcast had a huge impact on me because I was questioning whether or not I was drinking too much. And then I heard you talk about it and like, here's what I'm doing. And um, yeah, it, it was just so cool because you never know the impact you're going to have on somebody just through a comment and maybe a moment of vulnerability. And you had such a significant impact on me. And I was so glad that I was able to see you and and tell you about it, and then everything that's happened since then has also been amazing. But um, yeah, that's the, that's the story from my point of view. You, the way you tell it might be different.
1: No, that that yeah, she was the listener. She was definitely a competitor, and I was like, because she got some deals that I didn't get. And I can tend to be a little competitive. And I uh, didn't know
0: that. I did not you know, know that. that.
1: No. Oh yeah.
0: Oh shit! Yeah. I'm did sorry. Did I tell you that? No, I never knew that. <laughs>
1: Yes. It was actually just one. Um, But still, I was like, oh, Uh, yeah. But um, I I just, I love our friendship story. It's funny how karma, God, universe, whatever you want. And you all, I know that you have friends like that in your life, too, where they will literally, they're going to be your friend for the rest of your life because you might've done something for them and they did something for you that, that frankly, I didn't even know I was doing that for you. And you probably didn't even know you were doing it for me.
0: Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah.
1: So next we, we got to talk about your book because I'm really proud of you on this book piece. And (laughs) Listeners, I have always, I've shared with you before the importance of expanders, putting expanders in your life. An expander is somebody who achieves things that you want to achieve. Maybe it's like contentment. Maybe it's stretching yourself in uh, mastering something like, I don't know, cooking, or it could be writing or whatever. And I had told myself for years, I, I can't write a book. I could never do something like that. And Y'all, Aisha wrote a book. It's amazing. So you want to talk about the book? And sure. She just <laughs> she just goes for shit. She's like baller. Total playa.
0: That's that's one one way to describe it. I think the other way to describe it is um I have a hard time not doing anything. And I put a tremendous amount of pressure on myself to be highly productive, and am working on not valuing myself, not tying my worth to my productivity. So there's there's a shadow to that. Mm -hmm. Whatever you said, baller. I don't know. Like, and the shadow is like that. That deep feeling inside like I'm not good enough, I need to keep working harder yeah. and do more. Um, and I think it's important again, to be honest about this. like and I think it was one of the things that really like impacted why I drank um as much especially as much as I was toward the end, like because I just had to um, turn that like you're not good enough voice off somehow. Um, and alcohol was a pretty uh, effective way of doing that in the short term. So anyway, I just so, want to say that. Cause I don't, I don't yeah. I, like, I'm starting to like get uncomfortable sometimes when people are like, oh, and she does this, she does that. And I was like, God, if you just knew like th- mm. what was going on inside my little head, like, I don't know if you'd think it was all that great.
1: So I I'll, I'll add on to that for me. Uh, the, I, in the Enneagram, everybody, Aisha's a one, I'm a seven, which is very different. And so, yeah, productivity, you value that. And I tend to value or motivated by something new and different that's exciting. And the shadow for me is staying the path with it and not seeing another shiny object that <laughs> fills that, you know, that monkey mind or whatever, and just staying the course. And, and frankly, the podcast, Other than my marriage is the longest relationship I've had, right? That's probably the longest, maybe not the longest job. I've been doing coaching long, 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 but uh, no, I get that. And I don't think for me it's self worth. I think for me it's uh, this sense of being, of like slowing down. Or being bored is like, I don't want to be alone. It's mm. a loneliness thing that pops up for me. And that's why I drank. Mm. I felt alone a lot of the time, which is ironic because I was never alone. I mean, I, you know, me, I'm highly extroverted and I think everybody's got their, their reason for not being comfortable with self. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. And
1: that's that's what we, you know, Aisha's in my vision for 0.0 Living is not for the person that needs a 12-step program. I mean, if you do need a 12-step program after you go through our program, great, do it. Cut out alcohol. But for us, it's really for those gray area drinkers who are like, why am I using alcohol to live and to have fun?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, nobody thought I had a drinking problem. No one either. Yeah. And, um, and I think that like when no one thinks you have a problem or no one ever says anything and you're still doing all the things, right. Like, you know, launching my own business and taking care of the kids and becoming a
1: yoga instructor. Yeah. Like, that's, not okay. me. that's
0: not me. <laughs> Yeah, I did that too. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Right. Like, you know, that's, um, it's
1: all bullshit.
0: It is what it really is. <laughs> totally. Um, and so I think, I think what we're trying to do is just one, like talk about it and get people, you know, comfortable with saying like, yeah, you know, during COVID I probably started drinking more than I would like to. Um, Or, you know, that like I used to just drink on the weekends and now like I drink, I have to have like a glass of wine every night and I'm like waiting for 530 for that, that time. Um, And I used to, you know, joke with my, my drinking buddies like, oh, well, that's not a problem. That's just a bad habit. So whatever you call it, gray area, you know, bad habit more than you would like. I think it's important to create a space where people one, feel comfortable talking about it. There's no judgment, shame, whatever. Shame, yeah. Um, and, and also like just getting exposed to, like I remember the first time you invited me out to dinner with um, your friends, a group of women who none of them drink. And I was just like, I can't remember ever going out to dinner with a group where I only knew one person and not having alcohol and having an amazing time. Like we just had the best conversations. It was like, everybody was able to connect and support and be authentic and just like, dang, what have I been doing to myself? Like, I don't know. And so I kind of like, I'd love for other people to be able to have the same aha. um, And not have to wait until someone's like, you know, Hey, you got a problem or worse, right? because um, yeah. that that train is only going in one direction. Uh, and I'm glad I saw that when I did. Uh, but yeah, i I think I think there's an opportunity to reset, rethink, revisit um, in a way that can be a lot of fun and fill you up and not feel deprived
1: and fill you up. yeah, yeah. and have some
0: fun, yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah.
1: So what you and I are going to do is uh, we're launching a new podcast and it's going to be associated with 0.0 Living. And Gwen Sound, who's doing our podcast for Failing Forward, is going to help us with that. Thank you, Gwen. And so listeners, as we start to uh, promote that, what we're going to do is we're going to interview uh, women because this is for women. We're going to view interview women who have decided to cut out alcohol. And it's going to be a spectrum, right? But our goal is for people to, for us to normalize the fact that drinking does not have to be a centerpiece for everything in your life, for a funeral, for a wedding, for a date, for a movie, first communion, for a movie, swimming pool, there used to not even be alcohol at movie theaters. Like what yeah. the F? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not helpful. So,
1: like, what? Seriously, I remember talking to some people early on who had been sober for a while, and they were like, I mean, I used to have the movie theater to go to, and now I don't even have that. <laughs> uh, so we're we're really excited about that. All right, let's get back to you. So tell us, tell us maybe, I, I love, um, you got me turned on to, the book, the source. And mm-hmm. so maybe tell me about some, uh, tenants in your life or your core beliefs around resiliency and the power of positive thinking and how the source sort of helped you with that. Cause I, I've never talked to our listeners about the source.
0: Okay. Um, so the source, um, is a book that uh, is written was written by a woman named uh, Dr. Tara Swart. And she is a uh, neuroscientist, MD, PhD, uh, who also guest lectures at MIT Sloan School of Business. So pretty good credentials. And I saw her speak in November of 2019 And so right, right before COVID and she was talking about her book and I was like, I gotta go get that because one of the things that, um, since launching Vectris, uh, has really helped me with the anxiety that comes along with being an entrepreneur, an employer, um, all those things, uh, is just trusting that the right things will happen when they're supposed to happen. Now, Sarah knows this. I'm not a religious person, um, but I would describe myself as a evolving spiritual person. And seeing things happen in my business, things just kind of click and fall into space place because I opened myself up to the possibility and didn't push so hard and didn't work so hard um, was, was starting to make me, you know, a believer in something. I don't know what yet. Um, and then I heard her talk and the whole premise behind the source is describing the neuroscience behind, um, like manifesting or like, I don't know if some people have ever read the book, the secret or seen the movie, the secret, you know, this idea, like you put something out there and it will happen which I just thought was false, woo, not woo. true. Yeah. Like there's no science, right? So I'm like, what's the science behind it? And here comes this you know, PhD, MD, neuroscientist, and she explains the, the physiology, what's going on in our brain when we start to think that something might be possible for us or we start to act in a more positive way. And, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe there is something to it, you know, cause she talks about, um, you know, all the biases that we have to help us filter out information. And we have all these biases so that our brains don't have to work so hard and we can just quickly come to conclusions about things. And there are lots of negative things about those biases, but they do help us, you know, survive in a world where we're just constantly inundated with information And when we turn our attention towards something that we want or towards something that we'd like to have in our our life, we're turning on our brain to start looking for those things in our environment. And that is like a incredibly simplistic and probably uh, wrong description (laughs) of what she writes about in her book, but that's how I have interpreted it. So I, I really like it because I think Uh, anyone who's maybe starting to think that, um, you know, there might be some possibility that you can make your dreams come true and you still have to do the work, but getting really clear on what is your vision? How do you want to feel? um, And opening yourself up to it. She explains what's going on in our brain that actually helps that those dreams become reality
1: and she has tools to use in the book around creating that you know the one thing that the secret didn't have and a lot of people got confused about it were like the practical application or tools to do to do that and you know i i remember thinking i'm going to use the principles for the secret when i started blown and Blown was not in alignment with my, with Sarah's purpose. Mm-hmm. Blown was not in alignment with my strengths. And um, I think that was, I, I needed to learn it. I learned so much from Blown. I mean, I, I don't think I would have cut out alcohol. I don't think I would have had this podcast if I hadn't closed Blown. So I'm, I'm appreciative of it. Uh, but I also did learn that big learning lesson. And we we both love the book, The Source. In fact, Aisha's going to come over on Friday and we're going to do some visioning with me. And yeah. Yeah.
0: It's all good. Highly recommend it. Dr. Tara Swart, The Source. Yeah. yeah.
1: And she's British and that's why we're saying Tara. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Any closing thoughts that you want to go over topics that we should talk about that we haven't gone over yet
0: no i think this was great sarah
1: you know i love you thank you Mm. for being on today
0: i love you too sweetie
1: so listeners if you liked this podcast with us there's going to be more we hope you
0: listen bye-bye thank you for being on today
1: Thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.